Mini-episode 1336 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late-night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge mini episode 1336. This is FDH managing partner Rick Morris. And in keeping with past precedent on this show, when our world heavyweight champion of MMA slash UFC, Stipe Miocic, has a title defense uh, coming up, that is something on this show that we are certainly going to cover. And when I say our, uh, he is a native son of America's North Coast, as am I, and as is. My good pal, longtime friend, FDH Lounge dignitary and FDH MMA editor, Jake Digman, who is uh, a native son of, uh, well, the Akron area, close enough here on the North Coast. But uh, we claim Stipe as our own, and as we've covered on the show here previously, uh, Jake more so than uh, most of us as his first ring announcer uh, back in the day, the, the Ricardo Rodriguez uh, to the champ uh, in his earliest days, personal ring announcer, as we like to say. In his earlier days, up through the uh, amateur and professional ranks, and uh, seeing him uh, graduate to the absolute highest echelon as he has, and uh, Jake and I have been tracing it on this show the whole way, his path of glory, and the path of glory uh, will go again on Saturday night, and in keeping with Stipe's title reigns that he's had now as the two-time world heavyweight champion, he comes into UFC 260 for the rematch that he had with Francis Ngannou. And once again, he is uh, the underdog. This is a thing where, for as much as people have talked about uh, Steve A is the real-life Rocky, while Ngannou is the real-life uh, MMA version of Mike Tyson, it seems, as far as what people think in terms of his punching ability. And first time, Steve A took him down, tied him up in knots on the uh, canvas, real Luthez style. Uh, I personally am looking for more of the same Saturday night, but to see how realistic this is, let me reach out and make the hot tag to my good friend Jake Digman here. So, uh, Diggs, always a pleasure to have you on the show, and uh, certainly one of our favorite subjects to talk about, your boy, the World Heavyweight Champion. Well, it's always fun to be hanging out in the FDH lounge with you, Rick Morris, and um, uh, um, I do believe if you read all the hype that's going into this fight once again, uh, Francis Ngannou is already the champion. Yeah. He is already t- uh, he's looking at John Jones and blah, blah, blah. And unfortunately for the UFC, once again, um, there's a man that's going to get in their way that is the current reigning defending heavyweight champion of the world who is going to play spoiler uh, on that upcoming fight, I do believe, this Saturday night. Because, as you mentioned, um, I haven't really seen much that's come out of Ngannou since the last fight to show that he's changed. He did the exact same thing that he was doing before, knocking out guys in less than a minute. And Stipe already proven uh, in the previous fight the strategy that it takes to defeat him is you avoid that lead to make no mistake about it. And God, who does have that knockout power, you're not wrong by, you know, saying the, you know, he's the modern-day equivalent of Mike Tyson in the MMA with the world with that knockout power. Uh, but at the same time, 
you don't become the most successful heavyweight champion of all time if you don't have the ability to a learn from uh, the mistakes that you made, as we saw with uh, the fight, uh, third fight in the trilogy with uh, Daniel Cormier, and also to learn from what worked before and to, to go with that. And I've I got faith in our boy, and I firmly believe that you know. Uh, when all is said and done, we're going to hear Bruce Buffers uh, finish the night with those infamous words, and still, you're UFC heavyweight champion of the world, Stipe Miocic. And funny story, so you mentioned, uh, you know, announcing his early days. Um, yeah, we go back to the Thursday night fight in Akron at the mm-hmm. Chaparral Center, where I announced him as Steve Myosic. <laughs> and I go, how come you didn't tell me, like, three fights? Have you tell me your name? He's like, I don't know. Like, I pretty much could have called him, I could have called him, like, Bob Butthead, and he wouldn't care. <laughs> but, it was just really funny. I'm like, wait, your name is what now? And apparently the te- uh, his teammates, uh, like an inside joke at the time, didn't smarten me up that that wasn't his real name. Because, like, that was their thing they had, so they always kept like, Steve instead of Steve A. So, yeah, that was a little fun, fun little little Easter egg story. I mean. So it was more, it was more, it was more of a joke to him through me. Well, here, and here's, here's the funny thing, Jake, is we've talked about this previously on the show. When he won the World Heavyweight title, you and I specifically, and we went down in the basement there and we recorded together, uh, you know, we witness to a dream. We did an entire thing here. I mean, this just shows your depth of Stipe stories because I don't think I've ever heard that one before on air or off air. You have so many great stories. You can pull one out and throw it out there for the first time. Probably my favorite one of them all is from the early days uh, when uh, you you guys were, when, once he was already developing a reputation and he was beating everybody and you guys were having to work and sweat and work and sweat to get him any kind of competition. And uh, you, when you said when you guys were at the bar after one of these fights and he had a bunch of uh, bunch of beers in him and didn't know his own strength and came up and gave you what he thought was a friendly headbutt and said, hey, get me some competition, man. And I guess a friendly headbutt may not feel so friendly when it's coming from the future heavyweight champion of the world. That's another five-star five star story, Jake Digman. Thank God I had a hard head. Yes, yes, and he then, did. Okay, so he went and he won. 
tournament, and then he wanted to come back and do another fight. Nobody would fight him. Mind you, this is like, this is 2010. Right. So, not, not a single, not only would none of the amateur heavyweights fight him, the Ohio Athletic Commission pretty much just said to him, you have to go pro. And like, they wouldn't even thank him against like an O and O, another O and O guy. He had to fight like a five and O guy or something. Wow. It was crazy. They were like, he's too good. He's just been too good. It's like, oh. So they kind of knew what they had on their hands, but it was point like, I do recall the last amateur fight to uh, fight that he had, um, which I believe was at one of the Nautica shows. Let's just say that the person who came in to face him, uh, it was uh, it was made worth his while to make the journey down. Uh-huh. It's all, all, it's all I can say about that. Exactly. That, you know, to to get this to the point where it's like, you know, because everybody kind of was seeing the, the hype train take off, and now we are from those humble beginnings to where we are at right now, where he's the, the man on top of the mountain that everybody who owns the mountain wants to knock him up. Well, and it's funny because I think back to when we were doing that into a dream segment when I said to you, you know, because, I mean, there's gloves. He was a high school football, college baseball at, at Cleveland State, college wrestling there as well. Uh, and I'm probably forgetting another couple of things here. So I said, I said, you know, everybody says, you know, he's the modern-day Rocky because he's the blue-collar hero. He still works the job at the fire station, whatever, uh, you know, doing the, doing the uh, I believe, doing the medic stuff. And I said, isn't he, in a, in a lot of ways, sort of the modern-day uh, Apollo Creed because of how super athletic he is? And you were like, no, you're overthinking it. He's Rocky. <laughs> but, I mean. I mean, in a way, I could see that. Yeah, I mean, you know? he, he's athletically. Right, and that I guess that was my point. Like, athletically, he's not Rocky, right? The Rocky story is the guy who's the physical underdog. Stipe is a well-tuned machine, man. Nobody could do all those different sports and do them as well as he's done without having that be the case. Uh, and then, uh, I, But again, here's an interesting thing, and we make these analogies here, and you and I made the analogy, I think, that uh, in terms of the greatest heavyweight trilogy of all time, we just, had, we just marked a couple weeks ago uh, the uh, 50th anniversary of the fight of the and I was very, very pleased and proud on the 40th anniversary of the fight of the century in 2011, back when this show was still at the Sports Talk Network, to have on Burt Randolph Sugar and Teddy Atlas to talk about Ali Frazier 1. And, you know, I, I don't think it's exaggeration to say that Stipe's rivalry with Daniel Cormier in UFC stands up, that it's the equivalent of the Ali Frazier fights, even if it didn't get the worldwide fame of those and mainstream fame the way that it did. Now, having said that, what was the third of those fights, the Thrilla and Manila, when them essentially were they would never be at ever again after that fight? And the one thing, the guy who writes the MMA column for USA Today, the uh, MMA junkie column, the one thing, because I think you have to stretch and find justifications to go against Stipe in this fight because of what he did the first time around. And like you said, why would it necessarily be any different? But it is a thing where... Uh, evidently, in the last fight, and this was not something I picked up on, that Stipe's corner uh, later in the fight was really, really, really yelling at him to stay on the bike and stay away from the right hand, and that apparently uh, there was there seemed to be a little bit of a fear in the corner about getting caught by Cormier, and as you said before, you do not want to get caught by Angano. So, in in terms of the rough road that he has tread to make it to this point. I mean, it's not enough to make me think he won't go out there and do it again because he will. But isn't that sort of the only scenario where you can really even make a case for Ngannou is if this has cumulatively taken enough out of Stipe along the way? Uh, I would have to, 
to agree with you on that one. I mean, this, this is no discredit to uh, Francis Ngannou whatsoever. Sure. You, he deserves this title opportunity. He has, you know, fought his way back and has earned it. Um, he, you know, he possesses that that right hand knockout power. That you know, if he hits you with it, it's it's going to be lights out. But at the same time, is is it also that when you look at you know the history of Ngannou's fights, is he a one trick pony? Mm-hmm. That could also be argued, you know. Right. It's like once you get him into deep water, you know, once you gas him, if you get him out of round one, round two, uh, history has shown that you know that uh, the stamina comes into effect, and we know that he has cardio for days. Yes. So with the amount of muscle mass that he's carrying, Ngannou, that that he's carrying around, as we saw in the last fight between these two, that you know that more weight on a bigger guy like that does have its impact. And I think, you know, he's kind of one of those guys that he's, I think he used this really comparison, but you'll kind of get this. He's kind of like the, uh, I guess you'd say, Abdul Goldberg of MMA. <laughs> if, if, if he doesn't end it in the first minute, it's going to be, that's about it. <laughs> you sure. Know? Once, once, once we get, once we get to that, that 10 minute mark, uh, he's going to be sucking oxygen from the first, first row. Well, but yeah. for that first, they didn't have that he's out there. It's explosive, and, you know, anything can happen. Right. And, it's you know, a, we, and we would be fools not to, to acknowledge and admit to that. Exactly. And the one thing about UFC is it does sort of defy the aging curve just a tad bit more than boxing. Because you think about where the all-time greats were in boxing when they were 38. Stipe's on top of the world. So 38, and he has a chance, uh, an excellent chance to be champion, still in age 39, maybe even 40, looking at it here. But I go back to the last time that they fought, and I remember all the buzz about Ngannou and all the Mike Tyson stuff here, and he's younger. And I, I don't know why, but I just assumed I knew Ngannou's age, because when I hear about Mike Tyson, we're thinking of the young Tyson, are we not? The Tyson of the mid to late 80s up to basically like 90 before Buster Douglas, and then it was all downhill. I, I happen to yes. notice this here, and Gano is 34. He's exactly four years younger than Stipe. And I remember the last time they fought, oh, this young, hungry guy, this puncher, uh, this is a 34-year-old guy, uh, who, again, with questionable yes. cardio. So, I mean, all of this billing around in Gano, and and again, and you and I have left the caveat here, if he catches Stipe with a, with a punch, uh, then you and I are not going to be happy people because uh, that's going to be determinative of this thing. If he can get in there, if he can drop him, that's possible. But, I mean, in terms of how likely it is, given what the rest of the world is saying, I'm like you. I'm looking at all of these things here, and I'm like, where are you getting this from? Uh, on top of everything else, the guy's 34. He's not that much younger. Right. It's not like – it's just one of those things where, I mean, you can tell from the, uh, like I say, interviews and the marketing machine behind – you know Dana White has been salivating the last time they fought to put the the uh, UFC marketing rocket ship behind Ngannou. Yeah. They, they, they want to so bad, which to me makes zero sense. <laughs> I'm like, okay, it's like you have the guy to like, you know, you could get behind now, but yeah, you know, he's not one of their their West Coast or Brazilian guys, and you know, there is a, a, a sentiment of a little bit of a I guess favoritism <laughs> towards. You know, there's certain people, like, for example, I'll just throw a name out there, Conor McGregor. All right, Conor McGregor can lose six fights in a row and still get a main event in the UFC. Sure. Because he sells tickets. Sure. And I get that. It's a business at the end of the day, and I and I understand that. Um, but, like, you know, you look at uh, where, you know, what we have now, you've got, you, 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 they've 
really, really want this. Like, they really want that Francis Ngannou, uh, John Jones super fight. Like, yeah. really badly. And I'm like, I, I'm like, okay, I see that. But at the same time, I'd rather see the John Jones, Steve Miocic super fight. Yes. Because then you have the two most dominant champions in their division for the past, um, uh, you know, for the past, what, 10 years? Sure. years? Yeah. And then you know full well, we're just going to go with the what ifs in it scenario here. You know full well that if Ninganu does happen to catch that, you know, a punch and, you know, does pull it off, they'll just throw Stipe aside like he didn't even exist. I agree. I agree. And I'm going to, I've, I've said this before, I'm being repetitive, but this is the kind of thing that can't be said enough times. The complete and utter incompetence of Dana White and the UFC marketing suits here. You have the real life Rocky. I'm sick of hearing that Stipe isn't marketable. If you can't market him, that's on you. That's not on him. I, I mean, you, you go back to the Rocky movies. Imagine if Rocky was the actual champion, right? How many boxes of Wheaties would he have been on? I mean, th this, this stuff, you and I have, have very good marketing minds. This stuff sells itself. The fact that they can't sell, uh, sell Stipe uh, tells me they ought to be out there selling pencils on a street corner. I agree with you. You know, they, they go back, but you know what, it's like any, it's like any other like global promoter, if you really think about it, yeah. um, they go back to what they know. Yeah. They go back to like the familiarity of what is the tried and true, and I think we had this conversation last time about uh, the UFC's lack of ability in making new stars. Yes. They had stars coming in during the boom of the Ultimate Fighter era where you had, you know, you had your... Uh, um, your Chuck Liddell, your Tito Ortiz, your Randy Couture's, you know, you had those guys around that time, then Ronda Rousey came in and just blew everything up to give a mainstream superstar, and then Anderson Silva and GSP, and then other than really Conor McGregor, like, what champion in the UFC, who is, Conor's not even a champion, but like, other than Conor McGregor, what fighter have they made a household name in the UFC? Sure, people will watch UFC because it's on, and it's something to do, and it's like, you know, the thing, but you don't get that. Like it used to be every month they'd be like, "Oh my God, this guy's fighting now." This guy. Now it's like you know, you know, even looking at. I told you this off the air. I'm looking at the prelim card. I don't know who half these guys are. Yeah, I agree. You know, they're they're not like they're not being pushed in a way that it's a mainstream like acceptance. I guess is what what I'm looking for here. It's just you know they got and we've seen the same thing. You know, with like WWE. You know, they all rested on the laurels. Hell, Bellator is an entire league that's just pretty much filled with old guys from the UFC. Right, right. You know, it's like, um, but but also at the same point, I know who those people are. I knew who Chael Sonnen. Chael Sonnen made me want to see him fight. I knew who Fedor Emelianenko was. You know, yeah. Like we knew who Forrest Griffin, Stephen Bonner. You know, now it's like these guys. It's just like, yeah, the guys win. It's like, and then um, what was the fight I was watching? I watched the most recent one they had. Uh, it was the middleweight champion. And he was challenging the light, the light heavyweight champion. Right. And it was a, this Polish guy who had just like, won the title recently. Right. like an upset, I guess. And I'm like, man, I didn't even... Like, I'm like, this is a champion versus champion match. This right. middleweight champion of the world versus the heavyweight champion, or the light heavyweight champion. And I didn't even know this pay-per-view was on until, like, someone sent me a text. Right. I'm like... I'm pretty sure that I fit, if you look at, you know, like, my algorithms on every single thing, yeah. my social media and everything else, I'm pretty sure I'm in the wheelhouse of every single, like, you know, hey, you should know about this. I mean, 10 years ago, if it was, you know, Anderson Silva against John Jones, everybody would have been like, oh, my God. Right. We have to watch this. 
but it was, you know, the middleweight champion against the heavyweight champion. I'm, eh. <laughs> well, and and not only that, I mean, one of the laziest things in the world is marketing prototypes. And you look at this here, and we talked about it before. One of the things that makes Dana White drool enviously at the thought of Engano being champ is the Engano equals Tyson thing, and and how much. Tyson was marketable as the baddest man in the world. Having said that, you go back to it, and Tyson, a lot of that back in the day, came from the actual real-life menace of the man, somebody that uh, Teddy Atlas was uh, compelled to pull a piece on back in the day, a guy who came from a bad area and had a lot of bad thoughts and bad intentions and whatever, a very troubled individual. And Ganu, to his credit, okay, this is a guy whose life is not in the crapper the way that Tyson's was, at that time, but it was that whole thing of Tyson being a train wreck that made him the most dangerous man in the world, that made him somebody you couldn't take your eyes off of. And Gan was a hard puncher and everything, maybe one of the hardest punchers the heavyweight division's ever seen, but other than that, what makes the man somebody that you can't take your eyes off of? I don't see it. Yeah, that's, you just hit the nail on the head. That is the only thing that has, you know, people's captivated with him, is his uh, that, that knockout power. Yeah. Other than that, it's like, you know, I'm trying to pull up his, his, his uh, some information here on... Uh, I've got some. Okay, here we go. Yeah, so I got some here. Okay, so we have Francis Ngannou is on a four-fight winning streak. He's 11 wins by knockout. He does have four wins by submission. Mm -hmm. So I guess we can't really knock out. But what this guy looks like? <laughs> Last guy he fought, who is this? Rosin, Rosin Strick, Strick? He looks just like Apollo Cruz. <laughs> <laughs> That was okay. So his last four fights. Let's see no, he hey Jake, Jake, did, did that guy speak with a bad Nigerian accent? <laughs> I don't know, and I'm not. He looks very frightening. I'm not going to find out. <laughs> so he won by first round TKO, KO in 20 seconds. Okay. Junior Dos Santos. They fought on June 29, 2019. He won in one minute and 11 seconds of round one by KO. Nganu um, beat King Velasquez in 26 seconds by KO. Um, so, I mean, that's three fights. He hasn't even been in the cage for a full round. We'll go before that. We got, uh, he took on Blades here. He won 45 seconds, round one, KO. Right. So, like, he did go to decision against, uh, Derek Lewis here. That was back in 2018. Right. Um, so, yeah, he, uh, he, he, you know, they kind of pushed him as this kind of a one-trick pony of, like, you've got to watch what's going to happen. He's, he's going to knock everybody out. And he has, you know, his list is pretty damn impressive. It is. He knocked out Overeem. He knocked out Arlovsky in the first round. But you know the funny thing is he may beat all these guys, too. I was just going to say. And that's right. And, and, he beat, and he beat him when they were younger. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, that that's so, the whole thing. Everybody was kind of diminished after Stipe got to him. So I'm going with um, that. He's, you know, this idea that they really want to anoint him as the future of their division, but I mean, I just, I don't see it. You know, I don't. I, I, I again, avoiding the same stuff that happened in the last. Do the same thing that happened. Avoid those shots and stick and move and keep away and hold them and take them down and just run, basically run them out of gas. Hey, it ain't about being the most exciting. It's about winning. Well, and, and here's the thing, too. When you look at the consensus of what appears to be in the MMA media right now, which is about the same as it was the first time Stipe dispatched this guy, I, I'm going to invoke uh, conversations I've had with uh, another FDH lounge dignitary, a great one FDH NBA analyst, Ben Chu. And he and I, a lot of times we talk basketball, and I tell him 
about these ridiculous, ridiculous takes that I see from very respected figures of the basketball media. And just like, where are they getting this crap from? How could they possibly think something like this? And Ben has basically said it's a thing of where these guys can't see the forest for the trees a lot of the time. Names that are so big and so recognizable and so respected sometimes in the basketball media really just, just can't discern and can't see through the fog to what's actually going on. And I can only conclude that the same thing's happening here. Now look, there might be a lot of them taking victory laps at our expense next week here. I mean, if Nganu catches them with that punch. But I mean, the fact that you have to make that scenario for it, of where Stipe's defenses, which have been impregnable in every fight where he wasn't getting his eye poked out by uh, Cormier, yeah, I said it, uh, that... that you know, every other time out there, Stipe's been fine. And believe me, if you don't think is going in with the ultimate defensive mindset in terms of not getting caught, you don't know what you're talking about here. So I can't help but think this is another time of where everybody's just looking at the cliche of who's going to stop this tank, notwithstanding that the same guy already stopped the same tank in, in a fashion similar to what could unfold Saturday night. Yeah, I think what you just said here kind of commentary just made me think of an old uh, football analogy or football saying, and it's kind of, it applies absolutely perfect for this fight on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Offense sells tickets, defense wins championships. Yes, yes, utmost. That's the and, utmost truth. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he's got to be, he, he, going into this thing, he, he's got, Ngannou's got to bring everything he's got. You know, he's going to have to work on his cardio coming in, coming into this, and Stipe's got to, you know, drag him out and then run him out of gas and then hopefully finish him. Hopefully, yeah, and I, I think you and I are going to definitely see what we're hoping to see Saturday night here, and uh, we've made this prediction previously many times and had it come true many times, so uh, again, we, we never pretend to have false objectivity here on the lounge. We're all human. We all have the things we'd like to see ha- happen, and again, I, I'm not a dumb enough person here to where if I thought uh, you know, Stipe wasn't going to win, that I'd, I'd stick my neck out the other way. But uh, I, I, I remember the first time around, I remember being very nervous and just uh, and just hoping that, that he would, because I knew how dangerous the guy is. And I, I, again, and this is one of these things, too, where uh, if, if, God forbid, he gets, uh, if he does get hit, uh, I hope it's not anything that's going to be super damaging to him going forward. So there's there's always that fear when you have a great man like Stipe in there, and hopefully he's going to come out of the, a dangerous endeavor okay. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, it, it happened the first time around to where he not only won, but he escaped the damage that could be done to him physically. And uh, all we can hope, you and I, and certainly anybody else on the North Coast and any of Stipe's fans worldwide, including the Croatian community, all we can do is hope it will happen twice. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of crazy that off and on for the better part of the last five years, he's been... Um the world champion. I mean, yeah. you know, there was that, okay, so like the year Spain or whatever took to get the belt back from D.C., but that's just kind of cool, going back to 2016 to uh, when Cleveland was a city of champions, and then 2021, where yeah. the guy who started it all is still sitting here <laughs> on top of the mountain. That's right, that's right, and uh, just like he had a car in the uh, Cavs championship parade, uh, let him have one in the Browns parade, still with the belt <laughs> next winter. So <laughs> we have that to uh, look forward to. But uh, in terms of the undercard, speaking of the North Coast, uh, I know that uh, from your uh, experience uh, as a ring announcer slash uh, fight executive in the area here, there's some guys on the undercard uh, that you're familiar with as well. Uh, yeah, they, 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 on the um, 
opening fight on the pay-per-view card, uh, uh, which is, it's always cool to see, not one local guy, but two local guys competing. Um, out of, I know that uh, despite, despite our love for the Browns, um, the, the, from the city of Pittsburgh, when it comes to MMA, you know, we, uh, uh, our boys are our boys. We, we have a truce. We put the football stuff aside <laughs> for this one. Fighting out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, it's uh, uh, Kama, the Death Star worthy, is going to be taken on. He comes in at 16 and 7. He's taken on a guy at uh, 12 and 4, and Jamie Malarkey. Uh, Kama worthy have announced uh, several of his fights in the past. He is in uh, a, a uh, pinnacle fighting championships out. Um, run, uh, Matt Layshock ran that promotion out in Pittsburgh. Uh, our old uh, colleague, Nicole's a matchmaker out there, and they always put on some really, really good shows. And I've been on so much of those, seen Kama. Uh, compete on those cars. He also fought uh, several times for RFO over the years, and I do believe he went as far back as fighting for NAAFF back in the day, if I'm not mistaken. Wow. So he's uh, definitely paid his dues around the local scene, and it's always good to see you know somebody get an opportunity. He actually um, uh, he, he debuted in the UFC against Devontae Smith and ended up winning a by an impressive knockout. It was like two a fight that very easily could have happened and may have been on the cards to happen at Fairhaven Hall of Mansfield for RFO. Uh, took place on the big stage for UFC, and that's how Kama got his uh, got his opportunity. And you know, he hates being against another fellow local guy, but you know, someone's got to win. And hats off to him for picking up that victory. And you know, keep an eye on him. Kama comes into this with he's got uh, nine wins by knockout, three of those wins by submission, and four wins coming. for it uh, if that is I'm going to try and catch that if that's on the free portion that's on ESPN on Saturday I'll definitely try and catch that uh, hopefully it is and uh, that will be worth uh, looking forward to uh, as well as the main event and uh, just to bring it uh, full circle here uh, Jake Digman uh, any additional thoughts you have on uh, this card uh, Saturday night or Steve Ace fight or any part of it what you said about Manny Fernandez here, I would mark out so hard if we got to see somebody throw a flying burrito on Saturday night. That would be just beyond amazing. <laughs> you know, you, you wonder why well, I mean, it hasn't been used more in MMA. <laughs> uh, it's like a variation of a, a variation of a Superman punch would be the closest thing we could get to that. Yes. That would be pretty awesome. Just trying to think of any way possibly to throw a flying burrito in MMA. Yeah, I mean. Catch him with a four, not, he got knocked out with a forearm shot. Like, oh, God. <laughs> 
That would be truly amazing. That would be something to look forward to. Historic in nature, no doubt about it. And, uh, you know, as far as what you said uh, before, uh, Jake Digman, about uh, having the great and legendary voice of Bruce Buffer, hopefully at the end of the night, saying, and still world heavyweight champion Steve Miocic, you know, that guy's going to always have to take a number two in my book because uh, whenever your name comes up, uh, I, one of one of the um, first and foremost accolades I always throw out there is the world's greatest MMA ring announcer, Jake Digman. So whatever else we might say about you, we always have to throw that in the conversation. And as such, it is always a pleasure to have you on, buddy. Oh, shucks. I just wish my bank account uh, agreed with that statement. <laughs> well, the, uh, yeah. The, the, I appreciate it, though. Thank you. The, the creative arts don't always uh, treat uh, ta- us talented people as well as they should. Uh, hopefully they will uh, do so better in the future, and that's what we're all working towards. But, uh, again, uh, always love to have you on talking about this, Jake. I really appreciate it. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in to FDH Lounge Mini, Episode 1336.